water, earth, fire, air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. A production by the Novice Elitist Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. podcast about all things Avatar. Welcome back, all listeners listening to this. May the 4th be with you, to date myself. Oh, wow, I forgot it was May the 4th. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is the next episode of Bending the Elements, an Avatar podcast. And today we'll be covering Book 1, Chapter 3 of the Southern Air Temple. It's been a while since our previous episode. Yeah, quite yeah i'm not sure how long but long enough <laughs> yeah well two months i believe yeah we got a little derailed there but hopefully now we can get back on track and get back to doing these episodes more often absolutely i do enjoy this series so why not continue with this today we're going to do a little something a little different uh explain away caleb yeah so the last episode i did more of a written review just you know running through the plot trying to cover everything but it just for me felt a little bit stilted so I thought maybe doing it impromptu would be a little bit more um, spontaneous, maybe, maybe is the word I'm looking for, but just just have more natural flow to it. So hopefully that'll work out. Naturalism. Yeah, no, I did write a brief little summary of the episode just to kind of give us a track to move along. But before we start that, uh, who wrote this again? Uh, yeah, the head writer is still Aaron Ehaz, and it was written by Michael Dante DiMartino. Yeah, directed by Lauren McCullen. Yeah, not Montgomery. <laughs> Who's that? Lauren Montgomery. Oh, I said it. I guess it was two months ago for you. You forgot about it. Um, yeah, it's been a while. She's a prominent writer and or director in Avatar and Korra. And most with w, uh, WB, excuse me. Okay, uh, she, wrote, she directed the uh, Wonder Woman animated movie in 2009. Mm-hmm. I do remember you saying that now that I think about it. And yeah. I'm pretty sure she worked with, did some episodes on, and she co-directed, uh, what was that one? Uh, Crisis on Two Earths. Oh, okay. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I forgot about that bit. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, but yeah, I guess I'll do our little summary here, then we can jump into the episode proper. Go ahead. So we open up this episode following in the aftermath of the first two episodes. Aang, Katara, and Sokka arrive at Aang's former home, the Southern Air Temple, and although the place has fallen into a bit of disrepair, our lost avatar still manages to get lost in the memories of his old home. He shows the group around, they play some airball, check out a little display of all the past avatars, and chase around seemingly the last of the winged lemurs. Um, we learn about Aang's old mentor, Monk Yatsu, and eventually the fate that befell the airbenders. Aang becomes racked with guilt uh, once he gets this revelation, retreating it back into the avatar state. Uh, something that sets off a signal notifying temples all over the world that the Avatar has resurfaced. Um, and lost in despair, the only thing that frees Aang from his depression ball is the calls of his new friends, Katara and Sokka, who tell him that they're his new family and basically everything's going to be okay. Uh, but on the other side of the plot, we get another look at Prince Zuko, who's found himself following in the defeat of Team Avatar from the last episode. He's arrived at a Fire Nation base, and this arrogant commander... Zhao takes him into custody and just kind of beats him down a little bit after he discovers that Zuko's trying to conceal the fact that he lost the Avatar after finding him. Uh, the two have a clash of personalities that ultimately ends in a formal duel. Zuko, proving his salt against his seasoned opponent, wins the battle as well as his own sense of self-respect. And back with Team Avatar, Aang finally catches the last of the winged lemurs and says that the airbenders have to stick together as we head off into a new adventure. But yeah, so I guess where do we start with this episode here? Well, if you want to go along with us, yeah, get to timestamp zero and just, you know, play it right now because we're going <laughs> to, we're basically just going to play it right now. So uh, here's the opening again. Oh yeah, there was one thing that I meant to say last time. Uh, it's it's not an important detail, but I remember in one of the commentaries, uh, the creators mentioned that the end son uh, read the title card of like Avatar The Last Airbender uh, is actually from Whistler. 
Oh, really? <laughs> That's kind of a random detail. Yeah, they took it. They went. I guess they went up there and did some warden. And then, yeah, right here, if you're watching along with us. Yeah, right there. It's, he took a picture of the sun at Whistler and I guess stuck that in there, which is pretty nice. Uh, but one interesting thing about this part here, I'm going to pause it for once. We don't have the um, the page tile card almost in a way, if, if that makes sense. How all the all, all the little like, you know, book one, water, and then chapter X. Mm. It's not in like its own page. It's actually, you know, in with the, the background, which is interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting note. They're still kind of finding their footing with some of those kind of standard things that we would see much more regular throughout the series. Indeed. Makes me think of uh, the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, where a lot of the stuff yeah. that would become really standardized in the way they would film stuff. The first season, they would experiment a lot more, which is interesting to see. Hmm. Ang utters how this um, the Southern Air Temple is one of the most beautiful places in the world. What the whole world isn't beautiful, Ang? What What are you going on about? Well, it's some of that nostalgia for his old home, you know. I mean, I, do do you think at this point they've already gone around and done all that uh, exploring that they were going to do? No. Oh, really? I uh, I think they've maybe this might be their first stop. Mm. I'd say this because it's a follow up to for Zuko's story. I think it's a follow up to Ang's story as well, and they needed to stop off here first. And then they'll continue on. I think next episode is when they start uh, going on their little road trip. The surfing on the koi fish and all that stuff. That's the next episode, yeah. Oh, but I like that little joke right at the start of the episode with um, the prickle snake bit with Sokka sleeping and Aang just kind of runs the stick up his... I just enjoy the more fun energy that Aang still carries, even though things are so somber. That's, yeah, this is true. Although at this point, of course, he's trying to ignore it, which he does for most of the episode. Yeah, that is true. But we cut away from them fairly quickly. I mean, it's just a very brief little introductory scene before we jump back to Zuko and Iroh. So the Fire Nation shipyard, you know, magnificent fleet of, of Fire Nation ships. And all of a sudden you see his little dinghy of a, of a ship. Captain Zhao and Commander now. Interesting. Commander, yeah. Yeah, kind of immediately, you know, he's doing good and Zuko is still kind of at the bottom. I get the sense that they've maybe had a rivalry for a number of years at this point either either rivalry or because he knew who's uh, I, that's that's possible but also because he knew who zuko was in the uh in the fire nation royal royalty uh and nobility excuse me that's that's why he knew him well yeah knew each other but maybe didn't have the best relationship and now that zuko's kind of at the bottom of the rung he sees his opportunity to kind of kick him around a little bit yeah there's definitely the the vibe they have throughout this episode is just Poor uh, Zuko has been like kind of his luster has been taken off, and he's just trying to regain it. Nice little uh, little character moment there for Zuko. Not character, but just like I uh, like the little animation of like you know he gets angry and then he'll just burst into flames. It's, uh, so much his character. Yeah, definitely doesn't seem to care about the the value of rank, which probably comes from the fact that he you know is kind of the the emperor's son type of thing. So he doesn't have to really view it in the same way. But I mean, anyone else will look at this commander like, oh, he may be a dick to me, but he's still the commander. So I got to give him his respect. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Another uh, big thing of the episode is that uh, Sokka is hungry. He's a hungry man or a hungry boy. Excuse me. Yeah, I guess cutting back to Team Avatar. Yes, yeah, so they're heading off to the Southern Air Temple. Yeah, is there much about the on the journey that you want to discuss or should we just kind of skip past it? I, I do. I do. Uh, and, you know, there's always the. There is Katara trying to tell Aang about it, and I don't know if there's a rule of three or not. I guess so. She's always well. She yeah, she's trying to warn him lightly that like, hey, something bad may have happened to you know the the, uh, the air nomads, and she literally drops the line of like you know they killed my mother. Yeah, uh, which you know again they drop the kill line, which is admirable of them, mature I'd say of of just getting out of the way of like, yep, they they did it. I very much enjoy the animation. I should have looked up who did some of these scenes, uh, but I really like the animation here with uh, between Aang and Katara. Yeah, we'll get to some of my favorite stuff in this episode. There's some really great moments, but yeah, it is interesting that before they arrive at the temple, she's kind of just trying to get him to temper his expectations. Like, hey, you know, the world's in a pretty rough state. You know, your place is probably going to be a rough state too. But then once they get there, she starts like covering it up, which is interesting. <laughs> Again, trying to keep that innocence of, of, of youth uh, attained, basically. Mm. Very interesting. Wonderful shot there at 436, just of, of the Seminary Temple. I, I I do wish we had seen it later on in 
Uh, actually, maybe we do or not. I don't remember if we go back to Korra later on, but yeah, but no, that is a great shot of when we first see it. Yep. Now we jump back to uh, Zhao's uh, shipyard and basically get you know, you know, a little gag in the background of of Iroh admiring some of the general's weapons or long-reaching weapons, as we say. Yeah, Iroh's another funny one here because yeah, he has no care at all about the rank. It's all just a big joke to him, basically. Like all the pomp and circumstance just means nothing at all. All he cares about is getting his tea, having some time to relax. <laughs> That's a man who knows you know, what life is about. Yeah, I do enjoy that he just kind of subtly observes their interactions. Like he, you know, every now and again, will give Zuko some notes like, hey, you know, don't take that guy too seriously. Like, you know, focus on the prize. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's always just in the background of the scenes, never really calling attention to himself, except for little jokes here or there. I would say that his he's actually doing neutral gin. That's interesting. Where he's waiting for his moment to intervene or to talk. And I, I always like those kinds of people who, um, instead of, you know, always out being outburst uh, or even, you know, n- never talk at all, they, they wait for their moment to talk. They're actually, like, observing. So it's both, like, they, they are introverted, but they don't have a problem of being extroverted. That's That's kind of what I'd love to be in real life. Wow, you know, I never had this thought before until you were just speaking. But there's kind of an element of Columbo to Iroh. Yes, there is. As you, you know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah, he always kind of plays himself as kind of this silly, you know, like, oh, I'm just, you know, this guy here. All I care about is food. You know, don't worry about me too much. But, you know, at the end of their fight, at the end of this episode, he steps up and basically knocks Commander Zhao back. Oh, but so, so what do you think about Zuko trying to conceal his uh, loss to the Avatar to Commander Zhao here. He certainly either rolled low or Zhao rolled very high or they rolled immediately and or moderately and <laughs> Zuko's argument was not convincing to Zhao's <laughs> and he found out about him. It just kind of shows that Zuko, he's kind of arrogant too with how not prepared he is, kind of underestimating the fact that Zhao would just go and ask his crew what happened. That is, there's that he didn't uh, tie up those loose ends basically yeah it just shows some of the inexperience of his youth and also some of the arrogance that he just thinks he can walk around and just lie to people and get away with it unfortunately and you know if you look at this as an episode of it's a, it's a, an immediate follow-up to the previous episode it's almost like part three in a way mm-hmm. yeah he certainly wouldn't have time to think about that and just like, oh, yeah, we can we can lie low. And then all of a sudden, you know, this high ranking commander, excuse me, shows up and, you know, this ruthless guy or this 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 type of uh, arrogant guy shows up and is looking for an opportunity for anything. And yeah, opportunity to kind of maybe lift himself up some more. Yeah, I wonder if he had been informed previously of that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say how much they really know about the Avatar at this point or about what's going on with, in that regard. I feel like he went into that conversation knowing already that. Uh, the Avatar is alive and was just, you know, playing face. Well, absolutely, yeah. With the scene with them having their interview, yeah, he already knew what was going on. Yeah, there you go. He was just letting Zuko kind of flounder around and lie to him. And then, like, get the best of him and be like, aha, but you see, up my, I have an ace in the hole. <laughs> uh, and that all your crew already told me. <laughs> Liar. Uh, although I, do, I just, I don't get, like, I'm surprised that he's allowing him to at least leave. I mean, after he's detained, of course. Do you mean at the end of the episode or at the end of that scene? I guess the end of the scene. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the episode, once he defeats him, he's kind of like, okay, well, you can go because I'm kind of shamed. But during that scene, he's at least going to hold him for further questioning. Mm, okay. But we, we cut back to Team Avatar and Sokka. He, he wanted to cheer up the Avatar a little bit. So he's like, hey, show me how to play this airball game. That looks kind of fun. And this th- this is one of the moments where I thought the animation really stood out. I got a question, Katara, though, um, one of the lines before that of like, we're one of the first outsiders to step into an air temple. I'm like, I mean, I guess air nomads are supposed to be to real life of, you know, Shaolin monks or, or various Nepalese monks, excuse me, or Buddhist monks. monks. I'm surprised. Uh, I, w- I wonder if other outsiders back in the day were able to go into the temples at all. I mean, as Ang already said, they were only able to get in there via, you know, air gliding basically if you could mm. somehow fly you could get there but so maybe i don't know if there was like they allowed some guests to come in from some outsiders to come in i i don't know uh, i do wonder that but yeah that's an interesting point i kind of just brushed over that line but yeah maybe for 
couple, I don't know how many years, but maybe they decided just to kind of stay isolated, the airbenders. That is a good question. Maybe that's one of the reasons when the Fire Nation rose up, they just wiped them out quickly because they're like, hey, these guys are isolated and they're kind of secretive. Like, maybe let's just take them out. Yeah. Especially because they had the avatar that they were hiding. So, yeah, it is an interesting point that he's the only one at this point in out of the elements. That's like the one race that they completely exterminated. That's kind of the point of the entire show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just interesting, you know, when you realize it. <laughs> now onto the airball scene. As I said to you before, this is uh, I remember this commercial or this clip of, of of the episode being a heavy part of not a heavy part, but uh, very involved in one of the uh, YTV commercials for this show. Well, it's definitely a standout piece of animation. I can understand why they'd want to kind of pimp it out a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm kind of I wish I mean. This is after the fact, but I kind of wish that when Cora was getting her air, air bending training, uh, I, I wish that they were doing air ball as well. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. I don't remember if it ever comes back in Cora. Uh, I guess she technically does an Agni Kai. Uh, maybe because that's the that's actually the first thing we see with her. But no, I don't I don't know, because I, I certainly love the that's actually funny. We, we display like both like two different sports. Uh, in the, in this in this episode of like you know air air ball and then uh, Agni Kai I don't know if, I guess yeah, it's, it would be called a sport. Oh, you have to explain to me. I, I don't know what you're saying about Agni Kai. What is that? Oh, uh, it's in the episode. It's what um, it's what Zuko and Zhao do at the very end. Oh, the, their little uh, fire duel. <laughs> That's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's uh, I think they say it in the episode. I believe it's called an Agni Kai. Oh, okay. I must have just missed that line. Hmm. But yeah, no, that is cool. There, there's definitely lots of parallels between the two of them in this episode. So I guess we start seeing a little bit of uh, the Avatar sport and then end with a firebender sport. The Avatar sport. Uh, did I say Avatar sport? I meant airbender sport. <laughs> I mean, it's it's by the Avatar right now. This is true. It's by the Avatar. Exactly. Currently, you know, the, the, it's the Avatar's, you know, natural bending sport. But anyway, Which again, it's super cool. I would have loved to see more details about how that game works. Oh yeah, that's true, and I guess there's also the the earth bending wrestling. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, but so after um, Ang and Sokka kind of play that game, that's when we see the Fire Nation mask, like a corpse mask on the ground <laughs> for the seventh time. Yeah, and uh, Katara just covers it up by snow because she doesn't want Ang to see it and kind of spoil his fun. I thought was nice for well at first she uh at first she's like uh, zuko or zuko excuse me sokka tells her uh yeah we should tell him and she doesn't say anything but it almost seems like it's a confirmation of like yeah i'm gonna do that and then all of a sudden she's very like last minute she's like nope can't do it mm. maybe he was seeing the joy in his face when she like turned to look at him oh yeah she just couldn't bear to see him get kind of yeah right after he's you know playing airball again even if let's be honest here it wasn't a fair fight against suko uh, ah, dang it uh, Sokka. i don't know why i get them confused it's weird but yeah i i, I get your point i kind of it would have been nice if katara was up there kind of doing some airball and kind of trying her uh water bending skills out if, if if she could have yeah i mean maybe they wanted to kind of um pair up Sokka and ang a little bit more to have a little bit of a bonding with them especially because they were so uh, kind of at odds in the first episode or first two episodes. Uh, it was more one-sided, let's be honest here. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but very shortly after that is when we get our introduction to Monkeyatsu, which is some wonderful stuff. I always loved Monkeyatsu. Yeah. Like, they had such a really charming relationship between the two of them. Like, he's making those little cakes just so that... Wasn't it just so they can drop them on the heads of, like, some other monks that are down there, like, meditating? <laughs> yeah. So, before that, of course, we, you know, we have... Uh, Sokka and Katara, you know, discussing, you know, her, her decision to not tell Aang. That's the second time, you know, not telling him. So again, rule three, uh, <laughs> third time might happen. We don't know. And then we have the statue of Monk Gyatsu himself, which um, I don't know. Again, it's, it's highly based off of Buddhistic mon- monks. And there's, of course, different sects of, of Buddhism. And I don't know if he was like the grand monk of the temple. Pardon me if that's not a thing, but he seemed to be, you know, uh, certainly the, a, t- uh, a tall figurehead of in the um, in the monk lifestyle. I mean, he's the guy training the next avatar, so I mean, he must be the the head of this temple. He is his guardian. That's you're correct on that. What a beautiful place in the flashbacks. Really good use of. What do you think of the flashbacks, uh, and or at least use of the flashbacks? 
Yeah, I like the kind of soft focus kind of look to it. That seems very typical for flashback sequences. But no, I just thought Monkey Yatsu came off as someone who would have been a great teacher for Aang had they had the time to kind of flourish their relationship more. He's very in tune with Aang's carefree spirit, but also a very thoughtful kind of guy. So I think he would have really turned out a great avatar had he had the time to tutor him more. Ah, man, even like pausing right now at uh, 0914, that's a really nice shot of Aang. I don't know why. It's just, it's it's so fluid. It's not even fluid. It's it's on animation. It's it's great. Don't see really any like problem with the animation. Ah, maybe his ear is a little like too low to his head. I, I could be wrong there, but uh, yeah, man, it's it's really nice. No, there's some really great stuff in this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do like the flashback sequence with uh, how it's it, they use bright colors instead of like the very grays. Not very, not dark in present time, but very gray because it's winter time. Uh, again, each each book reflects the season of the um, each book reflects the season of the book. Excuse me. Yeah, and you can talk about if you really want to get into color theory, like the blue of the kind of wintry season reflects kind of the coldness of the time he's in, whereas the warm kind of summery yellow tone reflects kind of the happiness of you know summer kind of vibe but the way it goes is that uh each season is like connected to the elements so like water is winter earth is spring fire is summer and fall is air so this could be either during like an autumn time or springtime i have no idea yeah it looks to be some sort of autumn but i love that monk gyatsu's way of training his uh, aim is throwing cakes at meditating monks. Like, that's just... Like, what a good fit for Aang that guy was. <laughs> Again, I, I wish... I think all of us need uh, Monkey Yatsu in our lives. Because <laughs> he said how we have to... He was he wants Aang to basically live in the here and now. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I joked how it's like, well, is that, isn't that what everybody believes in now? And a lot of music nowadays is telling us, like, always live in the here and now. Always live in the moment of the party or whatnot. If you're listening to certain music that has to do with parties. YOLO. I think it's completely i think it's completely separate from what they're talking about i mean somebody would argue really is it though like no i'm talking about all this like you know mystical mumbo jumbo and really it's like living in the here and now is is living not in the world not like you know separated from it hmm. I, don't, I don't know i think that's the that's that's the thing that separates well that's the whole point of what separates uh you know non-believers from believers of of various faiths and and ideas well that's that's fair i don't don't know if i have much comment there but (laughs) that's fair um i again monk yatsu is is a very important figure in ang's life and i love what he had said and i kind of wish that in the comics uh there there will be a comic one day uh, sort of similar to, you know, Star Wars What Ifs or Marvel What Ifs. We get a what if uh, Aang did not somehow like the like, let's just say the uh, Fire Nation did not like uh, Roku was able to kill uh, Sozin. Hmm. First off, would Aang even be the Avatar at that point? Who knows? Because uh, Roku could have lived out the rest of his days and gone past what it is. I would just mean like, would, would the whole series look different? That's that's the question. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk a little bit about the the CGI uh, airlock that he has to open? Oh, yeah. That was one of the moments where I thought the animation was a little bit weaker in this episode. I think I noticed that when they first went to see the the airball uh, court arena, I think that was also a faraway shot of it was CGI. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's lots of CGI in this episode in terms of like really uh, moving parts elements. But I thought it worked well in the airball sequence, but with the door, I thought it stood out a little bit more. But I still like the idea of the door. Far away from the door, I can't see it being CGI, but then once you get it like right up close, um, yeah, it's CGI. Yeah, but it's still a cool idea. I like I like seeing some of the inner workings of how the air temple would have been designed. Sokka, you're going to need to uh, try something else into getting, uh, getting into that door and that sanctuary there. Instead <laughs> of just running into it like a big dumb. <laughs> you think after a hundred years it's gonna be like meats in there when I don't think it's been established yet, but all uh, airbenders are vegetarians. Well Sokka's a very hungry guy, you know, like we said, he always he's always thinking of his stomach, so he's a hungry boy. I don't know, I've seen worse CGI. I think it's integrated okay. No, yeah, it's not terrible, but just in this episode where I feel like there's a lot of really strong moments, that was probably one of the only weaknesses I thought. I do have to question why the firebenders back in the day didn't burn down the tr- the, the doors. It's like, oh yeah, it's impenetrable, except for fire. 
or earthbending. Well, that is the door to like their temple or not temple, but kind of their monument to the sanctuary to the avatars in the past, right? You know how in Winter Solstice they go to the uh, that one, and we'll see it later on. Uh, they go to that Fire Temple Island. Yep. This is the counterpart, the air counterpart, because we see uh, when Aang finds out and goes in the Avatar state again, and we we flash to three different places, uh, shrines. That's what it is. We go to three different shrines around the world. This is one of the shrines. Yeah, maybe they just had so much respect for it that they were like, that place is off limits. Like you can destroy everything else, but leave that. Yeah, I I would guess so. I, I could assume so. Oh, but after they enter the temple there, that's when we cut back to Prince Zuko and Commander Zhao. Yep. And they have a big confrontation of ideas here where um, Commander Zhao is basically like, you're a big screw up. Like this is a teenage boy, basically untrained, and you lost him because you're a big loser. And Zuko's kind of like, hey, I underestimated him, you know, but I won't make that same mistake. But Zhao's like, nope. I'm taking command now and I'm pursuing uh, the avatar myself. Yeah, there's a great little moment here that I just burst out laughing. <laughs> when um, Prince Zuko, he like gets mad once Zhao says all that stuff and he like tries to fight back and he kicks over this little table that has some tea on it. And instantly Iroh's like, can we get some more tea over here? <laughs> oh, man. Just the delivery of it just made me burst out laughing. Like he's he's such a funny element in the scenes. Always love Iroh. Would some people find that uh, too low of a joke? Uh, maybe it's. I, I just thought it had really great piece of comedic timing. Um, you know me in comedy. Most of the time, I don't blame with it, but for whatever reason, maybe it's that Columbo element again. But I just find Iro endlessly funny. Yeah, once you once you said that, it was like, oh yeah, this is totally Columbo, and it, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I I enjoy that as as well. I'm just like, that's <laughs> good good humor right there. Mm-hmm. So I yeah nothing really to add other than like I guess Aang's technically a preteen and like <laughs> quibbling with details yeah more details I mean we're being detailed with this episode so why not we're not even like what are we we're not even halfway through this episode actually no we're kind of are but still yeah at the halfway point now but yeah Kim and Zhao you know he should get his details down right did we need that scene because then we just like quickly jump cut to not jump cut but then you jump back to Team Avatar in the sanctuary shrine part so eh, i i think it was necessary just banks basically saying like you know more insults to zuko's ego from zhao exactly and that he's you know a loser and this and that and they at least were like okay well we got to justify the scene somehow so uh, let's give some what do we have okay so he kicks the table down oh ira's nearby oh what if he says uh something about the tea like that's perfect (laughs) yeah they're always good at mixing in humor with some serious scenes like I mean, I would say a lot of the dramatic weight with this episode is focused on Zuko. Even though there's definitely some dramatic stuff with Aang near the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's a little bit more humored based. With Zuko, it's just like, you know, disrespect after disrespect until he finally has to stand up and fight for himself. Yeah, you're you're right. This is just like Aang fully realizing that genocide has happened to his people, which is still pretty heavy. I'll, I'll, I'll say that it's definitely heavy yeah it's the means in the many of the we out of outcoming overcoming the we needs of the few uh, which is zuko's ego but i think you're right in that zuko does have especially like when he beats zhao and agni kai and doesn't like hurl a fireball in his face and then zhao counters with like oh yeah i'm just gonna disrespect you from behind pull a pansy move yeah i'm definitely looking forward to getting to uh that moment so i guess we'll cut back to team avatar now and Aang, he's going through the hall of old avatars. I'm not sure what you can call it. <laughs> but yeah, the sanctuary of all the avatars, the shrine. Yeah, and he has an interesting moment where he looks at Avatar Roku and just kind of like almost like zones out or like almost enters a different state of mind for like a brief moment. Do, do, do you get what I mean there? Yeah, I, I know I know what you mean, but do, do yourself a favor, everybody. Go to timestamp 1137. I did it by accident. That is... That is one great panel. That's that's all I'm going to say. That is one great picture that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, and you can find a lot of them in here. You know, and I'll just quickly address the Blu-rays. You have the Blu-ray for this, right? Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, admittedly, I don't actually think this is that much of an improvement over the DVDs. Like, I don't think the picture quality is necessarily that much more crisp. I agree. But 
I still think that there's some amazing art here um, just throughout this episode, but I didn't see the panel that you're talking about. I'm sure I watched it, you know, when I watched the episode, but I don't remember it, but still just a lot of great stuff in this hall of avatars. I guess it would be called an in-between frame. Um, but I, I don't know this, this frame right here, this frame that I'm looking at right now is what I would call season one, like just, or book one of like, this is how I define it. It's just, it's very dreamish quality. And I, that's, that's what I love about this book. Hmm. This book has just a very light feel to it. Not even light, but just a very like atmospheric dreamy uh, landscape to it almost. And hmm, absolutely. I can see that. That's what I love about it. I don't, I don't know why it's, it's that beautiful. Look at it. just the, oh, the shadows are so good. That's <laughs> such good. Like where the, especially where the light comes from. Oh yeah. Good, good choice of lighting as well, where like there's only one, light and that's it mm-hmm. until well there's many lights later speaking of that light source that's when uh they notice a reflection coming their way or a, a shadow i should say yep and they hide behind two of the uh the f- statues and they think a fire nation trooper i should say is approaching them but it turns out not to be the case it's who is it isaac well uh just a second because um <laughs> i didn't catch up to you on that one i have to catch up <laughs> Yeah, looking looking at these, uh, like just all these statues and the respect they have for uh, each of these characters, or each of these, you know, this this, this single figure almost throughout time, you know, ten thousand years of avatars. So at least that has to be nine around a thousand avatars. Well, ah, Roku said something about how he's lived like a thousand lifetimes and a thousand more or something like that. Great line, by the way, but. You know, I, I, you, you heard me when I rewatched this episode of like one of the, any one of these, any one of these could have been used for the live action uh, Netflix special or series, excuse me. And that probably would have worked way better than just another live action retelling of this first season. Well, we'll, we'll get to that when we see it. Cause I, I don't know what to, to say about that. So <laughs> you're, you're right on that, but just like they had so much, there's so much in the well to like use like people will say it's a prequel and like it has nothing. It, I don't know if you could say like it has anything to do with like what happens during Ang's time right now, but I, I fully think that you could just go back and do it, tell a story of an avatar and see what happens and not have any consequences of like, Oh, this makes no sense. It's not the prequels guys. It's the old Republic. But with the new studio, maybe they'll do it. Yeah. We'll hope <laughs> fingers crossed, knock on wood. Let's, let's hope so. But yeah, I certainly did enjoy the part where, Aang's just like, oh yeah, Roku. Yeah, I know who that is. There's no name. How do I know that? Scary. Anyway, yeah, now so yeah, yeah. in walks <laughs> this Fire Nation soldier who's he's gonna he's gonna come and you know get him. Interesting how in one moment uh his his ears flap up and down and then the next not really uh, he's kind of just standing there, never mind. <laughs> but introducing a flying lemur. Yes, and what will eventually be one of the new members of Team Avatar. And I like that immediately uh, Sokka just sees it as a meal. Like this guy, that's all he, his whole character this episode is just, I'm hungry. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's gone stir crazy or he's, you know, cabin fever or just, you know, unable. The fast is certainly like, not even fast, but just being unable to eat is like, drove him, not drove him mad, but like certainly gotten him to be like, anything I see is mine. Anything that walks, I'm eating. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be interested to see how they play Sokka for this season because I don't actually feel like they do a ton with him uh, uh, during this first book. That's fair. So I'm, I'm hoping that he'll be played up or get a little bit more than just comic relief as we go along this this first season. But I know he eventually gets some good stuff, but I feel like it takes a while. Also, Sokka, never outrun a, never try to like outrun a, 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 a an airbender. Yeah, which I, I love this chase scene. I think it's well shot and and get some more moments of levity for him. So that's nice to see, you know. <laughs> um, it's especially a great shot when they, uh, when Aang like jumps over that balcony and they take that upward shot. Dude, that was a really good transition. I don't know if it was like a one take, but it was like a very small, like uninterrupted take. I'll say that, not a one take, but like we, we go, I think we go from his back, then we go uh, bird's eye view and then immediately like, right out and we see like all the landscape underneath like good i think a really good sense of of uh geometry not geometry but geography and where like all your landmarks are good good job guys on that yeah and it has a great kind of speed to it for such like a big transition like that very well done very well done stuff 
I love his face as well. Like when he's going down that it, it may look ugly, but I kind of like that it, it is ugly. Cause that's kind of what your face would look like. Uh, if you were going like f- basically like flying down a hill or flying down a cliff, excuse me. Yeah. And how his eyes start watering. Like people would be like, Oh, they didn't animate his cheeks flapping. Like, <sighs> <laughs> I don't know who's complaining about that. TV animation guys. They're already making this place look great. I mean, I could already argue here. Like, okay, fine. And like, uh, 1418 uh, we have Zhao coming into his little tent where he's keeping uh, Zuko and Iroh and both guardsmen look exactly this they're clones <laughs> <laughs> they're literally just clones so. it's a clone image yeah yeah and here we get another just scene of just it kind of repeated the last scene just in a bit of a different way as Zhao just kind of berates Zuko he's like you have no home you've got no friends even your father doesn't even want you anymore it's just another kind of uh, beating him down moment yeah so uh, so does yeah it is confirmed here that he is going to let them go free as, as you said and doesn't seem to be indicating that he won't stop him from like he's not restricting him or anything like that from i don't know why he would be able to um unless he made like an order which is like <laughs> but he's banished so like that would mean that you have to recognize him back as like the prince of of the of the fire nation but we're not going into that stuff so yeah, you're right. He, well, I think I feel like Sao doesn't even need to say that because all he has to say is really nobody wants you anymore. Like you should just go away because exactly. you're a disgrace to the Fire Nation. I think he says. But right now he's using yeah, it's like you're you you can't beat me. I'm older than you. I have all these I have all these like men under my command. What are you? You're just banished, 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 banished. Yeah, and the respect of actually being a commander. I mean, I wonder what Zuko's actual. Uh, kind of um what's the word rank uh rank is yeah title yeah title exactly because the prince is his title but is that really a rank uh you know like certain in i think in real life monarchies technically (laughs) yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like the jedis in in um the prequels where they automatically become generals in the clone army it's like even i was just like really (laughs) really I always had that confusion. It was like, they just automatically become that. Like, wouldn't the clone troopers have a problem with that at all? I should have brought this up when we were doing Star Wars, but in our other channels. Interesting question for maybe their kind of um, kind of uh, conflict between them. Because maybe Zuko is higher ranked, but he's this disgraced prince. And that's why Commander Zhao is kind of like, I need to beat you down to prove that I'm the higher one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why I was saying like, is like for instance is prince uh william of the uh, english monarchy is he uh, a higher rank than like a five-star general over there yeah that's interesting i really don't know and that is the thing of it's it's literally the the um in nobility um uh, in nobility terms not terms but you know nobility worldview excuse me um it's it's like nobility versus military ranking in a way of like this was a birthright like the, the this prince is is uh as a prince because of birthright, and this man Zhao basically worked his way up, blood, mm. sweat, and tears, and betrayal, and lies, and deceit, <laughs> deception, and all that other stuff. But you know he he got his place here, and instead, you know here's Zuko who is arrogant, at least in his eyes, is arrogant, knows nothing uh, of the world and the harsh realities of it. What he's had to do, even if it might be cake, a cakewalk to Zhao, who knows. But yeah, I could certainly see some jealousy uh, and, and anonymity towards uh, either of them because it's like, you know, you were given, you were born this way. I was not, I earned my place. And he has respect for uh, Iroh just because uh, Iroh has actually gone on the front lines. He is a general. He uh, used his uh, bloodline well. Um, he lived up to his his name and his, his uh, yeah. it's legacy life. There we go. Yeah, it's legacy. Yeah, not that we really know too much about that right now, but I do just want to quickly comment on one other moment in this brief scene here. Yep. After they challenge each other to a duel, and we get that great moment where Iroh's like, hey, Zuko, don't forget the last time. Don't forget what happened last time you tried to do this. Yeah, there we go. And they move on Zuko's face and they... Uh, there we go. There we go. Sorry. An Agni Kayat sunset at 1521. Sure. That's what it's called. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and they move across Zuko's face where you see the normal side. Eventually they cut to it's just the scar side and Zuko's like, yeah, I won't forget. That was a great little moment for him there. It, um, it almost made me think they were going to go for, go in for a flashback and then they don't. 
dang every time it's so it's so funny every time you jump cut not jump cut but every time we jump back to like uh, uh team avatar because the scene is lit red and then we go outside to it being naturally lit blue it's kind of like a a shock to your eyes almost yeah definitely a contrast there you have very distinct differences between the two storylines in this episode which is interesting didn't have that in the first two. So Aang, you know, follows the lemur toward, uh, you know, where he's where, where he's run off to and goes through this little cave or makeshift shack. What's left over of it. And then he finds many, many Fire Nation foot soldier bodies. And then all of a sudden, right there in the snow, backed up against the wall is Monk Gyatso. Yep. With his hands out in like a almost a Jesus pose. <laughs> yeah. As the uh, the corpse who I guess he killed all these guys. <laughs> like yeah that was one thing that people didn't realize that um yeah gatsu brutal <laughs> again i don't know what's certain as far as my research and or like my knowledge of of buddhist monks and their their sex are certain sex will I, I i i won't say tolerate violence and there are obviously ones that are intolerant to violence and there are ones that do tolerate violence um some that will do action uh over inaction and I don't, most of the time, I'm pretty sure the air nomads in this show are supposed to be uh, in action, especially like their, their whole art itself of airbending is to, you know, redirect, go away, defensive, let's, let's get out of here uh, to run away. And yeah, here he, he does, <laughs> does the complete opposite of like taking them out. So again, I'm not like calling hypocrisy or anything like that, but maybe like just life or death, it was, he had last stand basically. Yeah, and I mean, he died with him, so I don't know if he was already wounded and just kind of put out like a final wave to kill them all. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is when Aang finally has to face the fact that, yeah, you know, his mentor and everyone else died due to a Fire Nation attack, he retreats back into the Avatar state. Yep. And it lights up all the eyes of the Avatar statues. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you explain this moment? <laughs> uh, I think it's a reaction to all the... What is it? Are, are all these statues made out of special wood or something like that from the spirit world you know <laughs> you know maybe who knows is uh, is there like spiritual or uh, is there spirit water in there y- you know <laughs> well it's not even just the statues i mean pictures and like um what's not not pictures um what's the word for those uh things you'd see in like the walls of churches what are those called again maybe not uh windows but like um the ceilings what are they called oh tapestries tapestries yeah like there's one monk sitting in front of one and you see all the lights light up on the tapestries there that's a great image by the way i don't know if you can see that but like that it is at the, at the earth temple it's oh it's such a that is a great piece of art right there yeah and it, temples all over the world they light up and everyone realizes the avatars finally resurfaced so yeah i don't i don't know i don't know if we go to that uh, earth temple at all we go to the fire temple and i don't know about the water temple we actually go into and like give some of these characters lines uh which we'll see later on but yeah i wish we kind of went to those uh those those other two temples but you know to each, uh, whatever what happened well i was just a little mystified as to what exactly occurred here and how that signal went out was it because because he don't he's already gone to the avatar state was it because he was in the temple that it like triggered this reaction or like what? Do you, what do you think? Oh, good question. Okay, so I assume that the when they built the temples, they built it. I think they say this. I think they explain this in the Winter Solstice. I believe they built temples around the most spiritually attuned places in the world, kind of like ley uh, lines, almost in a way. Mm, okay. And so, because he was near there, and maybe even if he wasn't near any of these temples, if he had. We, that's the thing. It's like every time they go into the state. So that means like every time Korra went into this avatar state, you know, years later, does that mean that each of these, uh, each of these temples glow or is it just like thing is thing is, yeah, you're right. Because he used it last episode. He went into the avatar state last episode, uh, defensively. And here you could say the same thing. Is it, I, I think you're right in that it's only when he's at the temples, uh, when they activate. Yeah, that like ley line or whatever you, you said, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, ley lines. But that seems to make some sense to me. They built him at like spiritual like equators or whatever, and because he was near them. Yeah, spiritual pools in the world. Think of like think of them as like spiritual poles almost, like the north, south, the east, and the west poles. 
So maybe that's that's what it is. Yeah, because it only showed us the four points, so that makes sense. Absolutely. Big like spiritual tuning forks. Yeah, but um, yeah. So after we cut back to that, I mean, Oof. it's definitely a little bit of emotional stress for our team Avatar. But then we cut over to Zuko and Iroh, and they're having their own sort of emotional stress with the uh, Egnikai, as you said. Oh, yeah, they call it. By the way, they call it the Avatar Spirit. I don't know if they actually call it the Avatar State. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> Heck, I don't even think the Avatar State. You know what? The Avatar State doesn't occur until book one or book two, uh, episode one. Because what's when it's called the Avatar State? I forgot about that. So <laughs> we don't even have that uh, titled yet. So it's just the Avatar Spirit. Yeah, I guess we'll see when that pops up for the first time. Which I I think makes sense. That's that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it being called that um, for now. But the Avatar Spirit. But anyway, so now it's sundown. I guess it's that's funny. So it's sundown. Yeah, I guess it's both sundown here and there as well because they're nearby each other. Because they wouldn't have gone far apart. Yeah, and I get the sense this is taking place basically at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but well, what do you think of some of the, almost like a callback to old um, Kung Fu films where they do a little bit of split screen between them, just their eyes? I mean, that's also not just Kung Fu, but that's that's also, you know, Westerns uh, as well. American and or Italian Westerns, Swedish Westerns, excuse me. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's true. And this is a typical kind of dual scene, so. I mean, it is a dual. Like, think of, think of a duel itself you'll always want to focus on the eyes and yeah it takes place at sundown <laughs> any literally any fighter who knows you know how to fight uh knows that you actually don't look at the eyes you look at the the chest you look at the um around the throat area because that's when the body moves mm-hmm. you never you don't always want to look at the eyes that's the, <laughs> the thing that some people forget so it's, <laughs> you really should be having neck shots or collar shots of just like okay how's their collar going to react because yeah your brain reacts but that's your head. Your your brain is telling your body to move. So what are you going to look at? You you instead want to look at like you know your neck area to see where you're going to react. So where your shoulders are because where your shoulders are going to do. Uh, it's also of course like you know your foot movement is also important. So always try to you know without looking down use your peripheral vision to figure out what what, what your opponent's feet are doing because again footwork is important, very very important. Yeah, and I was going to say. I mean, I'm sure this scene is definitely in your wheelhouse. So you know. If you want to just kind of go off on it, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm again, I'm not a traditional martial artist. I'm a mixed martial art. Yeah, mixed martial artist. So I'm a, a modern day martial artist, really. Uh, and that, you know, I only do unorthodox moves, uh, not the not traditional martial arts. Um, you know, the, this is northern Shaolin and it's beautiful. It's it, mm-hmm. these are closed systems where they only have their own rules. Not even they only go by. Uh, these certain movesets and that's it that's that's all and these stances and that's it maybe other obviously some other closed systems will allow to be itself to be more open but again mixed martial arts tries to be a lot more open and use whatever is useful and you know traditionalists will obviously say like you can't do that that's that's opportunistic it's like well that kind of is the point to see like where the what the best moves well i guess yeah you could say yeah what the best moves are to get a good advantage of whatever but but i think there's a great sense of motion to the animation here like it feels very um fluid and quick and the red kind of uh sunset background is a beautiful little setting for this fight especially considering they're both firebenders so that you know it blends in very well it's just a very very well done sequence uh, another thing that they have to worry about is fire bending as well and this is one thing that any you know animation heads uh who want to learn animation really needs to also understand lighting firebending creates light <laughs> that's hard because now all of a sudden like you already have the you have the sun which is you you know exactly where their uh the light's coming from so you obviously know where the shadows are but all of a sudden you reintroduce a new light source which is fire and it's like oh golly that's that's introducing a brand new one jeez that's 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 complex man like people don't realize how like you know complex animation is Yep. Again, I have to, yeah, I have to gush about how, like, you know, the scene is not chopped like Mortal Kombat 2021 was to last Friday when we went and saw it. Yeah. Except for a few few parts there, but, like, the scene is, is way better. Um, yeah, and I think they balance the, the combat well enough where it doesn't look like Zuko wins too easily. Like, they look pretty well matched. That was, yeah, that was certainly the thing of, like, okay, so... It's a it's an older man who's been in more fights, 
I think mm-hmm. we'll go with that. Um, probably cheats, but like, you know, again, a guy who's been in more fights against a younger, less 16 year old who has, has obviously had training and we'll see him having training. I'm sure uh, some of the best training, I mean, he's the emperor's son, so I'm sure he was trained by the best that they could get the emperor or not, not the emperor, but <laughs> fire Lord. It's okay. Yeah. The fire Lord in Japan. You know, I, I keep thinking emperor. I, I just, I can't help it. Oh, you're not. Yeah. You're not being helpful to our uh, Japanese viewers and any, any of them. <laughs> I, I can't help the comparison. I mean, it's, it's right there. You I know? get it. Yeah, it's fair. It's, it is that, but you can't just say that. It's like, you might as well just say president. <laughs> well, I, I suppose it's the president's son. I suppose. I, I like actually the first opening part of the of the shot where we we get a you know 180 I don't know if it's 180 but we get a pan view of like the whole arena it's like this is the battlefield this is the uh, environment we're fighting in kind of quickly you know it's very basic but that's fine because you you know where they're fighting which is nice mm-hmm. uh, so there's no like okay continuity is always a problem when it comes to um, fighting choreography. And this is, I think, good with it because it just, it's in a smaller location. Yeah, that's, that's, it's very a traditional look for a, a duel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, with, with how all of a sudden uh, Zuko listening to his corner man, which is Uncle Iroh, great. Uh, I'd love to have Uncle Iroh as my corner man. Uh, yeah, listens to him. And that is a thing of like, especially in certain in, in real life fighting as well. There's always the corner man, which is you know if you watch any box, I don't know, about, I think boxing. I could be wrong on that, but in 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 UFC fights and like one and I think even Bellator, they also have a lot of their corner men yelling out like, okay, here's do this, do this, do like this combination, or keep your your a your hands up, or like watch his foot movement, all, other like sort of stuff. They're shouting like that some people are actually able to like hear and detect like what they're and, and comprehend what they're saying. Cause you're very, when you're fighting, you're very much in the zone and some people actually a, a certain classmate of mine at the gym uh, is able, was able to do that. And that's how he kind of won one of his fights in the out of school tournament, which was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, he was able to hear uh, his opponent's corner man uh, tell him what to do or tell, you know, his opponent what to do. And then he countered uh, everything he said. He was like, okay, I'm just going to, there you go. And that's, <laughs> I'm basically cheating, not, he's not cheating the system, excuse me, but I'm basically like, you know, no, it's being clever, being observant. Absolutely. That's that's what it is being an opportunist. And that was amazing. So that's also kind of, so they would have to adapt and say like, all right, we'll go with different move sets. You have to like go with code words almost like, mm-hmm. like do move alpha, do move gamma, do move epsilon or something like that. And he's like, I don't know what those are uh, unless he like, you know, figures it out quick enough. But yeah, it's, it's weird. Like if Zuko was able to just like take him off guard, maybe that's what it was really. Well, I mean, again, I, I, I kind of zoom back to um, Dune because Paul Atreides, you know, I mean, he's a Duke's son. So obviously he's going to be trained by the best. So it, yep. he would already have an, in a way an advantage against commander Zhao here, even though Zhao has experience. I feel like Zuko, you know, one, he has that passion to prove himself as, you know, not a worthless kind of outcast. Yeah. He has that, but he also would have had that experience from being trained by the best. So yeah. is that complete drive a eh, of just like wanting to prove himself uh, to Zhao right. Eh? Yeah, especially because Zhao's been treating him like just a piece of crap, so he really wants to show him who's boss, which he does. And this also could subconsciously be um, the, the Avatar got away, and so this is his way to fume, finally, and let off some steam, which is not a bad thing for, for him, basically, but maybe you're not a bad thing, but... Well, it's it's the start of Zuko's arc for this whole season, it's just true. proving his worth. It, and it's it's nice that we immediately follow up after his failure in the first two episodes with a success here. Absolutely, it's nice to show some competence. Yeah, it's that is that is true. And it's also interesting that uh, Commander Zhao um, shows that he's kind of a piece of crap as well. Because even though he loses the fight, he decides to get up and hit Zuko from behind. But thankfully, yep. uh, Iroh's there to toss him back and tell him that Zuko's so much more honorable than him. Dishonorable. Which is a great moment for him. <laughs> yeah, again, Zuko always has this thing of, you know, his, his arc is about honor. And mm-hmm. seeing that Zhao would do such a thing like that is quite interesting. Yeah, and I like that Um, after, you know, Zuko, like, I beat you, but, you know, 
I'm going to leave you, you know, you, you learn your lesson that um, once Zhao tries to uh, strike back, Zuko jumps back in like, okay, you know, you want to screw with me? I mean, I'm just going to take you down big time now. Yep. And Iroh has to step in again to hold him back, you know, maintaining that relationship that they keep balancing back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just a very well done little sequence there. Just a brief little moment, but well done. What do you think of the uh, end comment of by Iroh of like, you know, my, I told you Jin Sin T is my favorite. I love that. Yeah. When uh, Zuko is like, did you really mean all that nice stuff he said about me? And Iroh just, just deflects. He just, <laughs> yeah, they, they have such a fun relationship. He doesn't want to get too serious. It's always about jokes with Iroh. Yeah. The level, I wish some of my uncles were like that. Hmm. That's not true. Yes. No, I think, yeah, my uncles are like that. <laughs> but anyway, now, yes, let's, uh, let's now proceed to move on to, uh, another catastrophe that's happening. Uh, Aang's having a moment. He's, uh, he's trapped in the fields. Yeah. I think I said a depression ball in my little intro. But yeah. <laughs> is his, his defensive ball almost in a way His his safe space. Yeah. And that's basically what the avatar state's been at this point in the show is kind of his, um, protective barrier against the world. Yeah, all you psychologists out there. Yeah, whether that be a storm or um, someone almost defeating him in battle, now it's emotional turmoil that it comes out to protect him. So yep. And the only thing that can bring him out is yeah, like I said, uh, Katara and Sokka being like, "We're going to be your family now." You know, maybe you lost everybody, but you still have us. Oh. And yeah, they end hugging, which is a nice little moment for them. Yeah, I got, this, this is weird, but their eyes. Uh, in in this scene, around this scene, like twenty one twelve. <laughs> Dang, that's a good rush. That's a good rush reference. I did not mean to stop it at that point, but their eyes around that same scene, and, and a bit like a few seconds earlier, they really got like the the air quotes like you know, Aboriginal and like Tibetan look on on or Nepal look on these characters, which I really liked. I definitely got that sense throughout this episode. They're putting more emphasis on that. Definitely. Um, they, they do tend to go back to the big eyes though, towards the end of the book and even towards the end of the series as well. Oh, absolutely. Especially with Korra. And mm-hmm. I, I, I still do wish that we kind of try to stick to those, those, uh, different eye, eyebrows, not eyebrows, but, uh, and it's just structure or not eye color, but yeah, thank you. That's it. Yeah. Eye structure. Yeah, no, the, I, I guess we'll look at it more as we go along. Maybe more of it's there than I remember, but it's been a while since I watched the later seasons of this season. I think they got it series pretty, I want to say close, but I think the, the unaired pilot, I think I may have said this already, but I think the unaired pilot kind of got that look a little more down, but. Wow, I keep forgetting that we haven't done that. We got to do that pretty quick. Maybe at the end of this season, actually, maybe we'll finish it off with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what do you think about how the, kind of climax for Aang's character arc in this episode went. Did you think it went satisfactorily or? So the ending of, of Aang's conclusion, does he, does he deal with it fine or does he redirect? I think he, I think he'll, you know, in universe and we we don't see it, but I think he's coping. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's certainly a lot to take in the fact that your, your family is gone. Like at you, you witness, you literally see the skeleton of your, your dad or just master, whatever you want to call it. Like they're just your honorable mentor. And he's, he's died. You know, that's, that's not easy for a lot of people. I'll say that seeing the body of their, of their, you know, a close familiar, familiar person. And so with like, you know, did these two connect properly of like, you know, this is, you know, subtly like, Oh, this has happened a thousand other times. Like you have, you don't just have like Katara and and uh, Sokka and then like you know Appa and the lemur. You now have you you've had like thousands and thousands of relationships in the past. Like you've been reborn, you know, thousand times plus. You've had so many relationships before then, buddy. It's like you'll always the cycle will always repeat where you will find new friends. Ring theory. Yeah, but he he's not really connected to the past avatars in that way so we wouldn't have that shared experience yet no but they can share the go back and sh- be shared with the experiences in in a way but i but you are right in that the connection wouldn't be there but there 
again, it's very complex in the reincarnation aspect, but you'd still be connected in a way because you are that same person. Yeah, but it, it's so vague now. He wouldn't have that to kind of lean on for support in the, in the same way. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I'm just saying, I guess I'm saying that like out of universe and like looking at the whole show as a whole, he has that aspect. Yeah, and I think in this moment, it's satisfactory in in the sense that it was just like a brief emotional kind of lapse where he just couldn't take the grief and knowing that he had someone to rely on like Katara and Sokka kind of helped bring him out of it. So, so I'm okay with it. You lost, you you know, you're, you're, you lost your old family and you have your new family and your new family's been here the entire time. Is that, you know, something that bears repeating all the time? I mean, like it, it was obvious from the start. It's like, well, of course, like anybody could see like this was, they were going to be like the new family. Uh, this is their like, you know, uh, ex- not extended family. What would you call it? Um, uh, what's the, not, not, not nuclear, but uh, extended family. Or? Thank you. Yeah. It was extended family. And I do like that Momo kind of decides for himself that he wants to be part of this family. Now he just shows up and brings some food. Like here's a peace offering, like take me with you guys. I don't want to be alone anymore. <laughs> that is true. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we end the, we, we, they stay the night there, I assume. And they, you know, go the next day. Uh, and again, a wonderful shot. And there we go. Yeah. Say hello to the newest member of our family. I do think it's funny too that Momo specifically brings food to Sokka. Yeah. Like it shows a little bit more intelligence to the uh, winged lemur than you made me think. But then he immediately like grabs and naps uh, whatever Sokka's eating and grabs it and eats it for himself. Does he? I don't remember that scene though. I no, guess. yeah, it's it was at like twenty two ten or something like that. Oh yeah, I was still I was still in the temple when he was doing that, so yeah. Oh maybe it wasn't night. Maybe it was maybe they were yeah, maybe they left night i could be wrong there yeah i guess it's, i guess it's the next day yeah when momo's like hey share some food with me i brought it Maybe all it's early on man the ending part where they like everything's now like got a shade of purple on it and they go like they go through the clouds good grief that was ah oh, it's magical yeah so we move on to their next adventure yeah beautiful piece of animation yep yeah lauren mccallum i don't know if i guess it's a guy or that's a gal probably and especially especially that like ending theme as well that's a theme that's used over and over and i gotta look up some of these like like the actual titles of these because that one actually has me in tears sometimes it's just that's such a powerful piece thank you jeremy zahn or zuckerman excuse me for that the end theme that they would play over the Korra credits numerous times it would actually bring a tear to my eye listening to it yeah especially in season four when i knew it was coming to an end almost every time i'd hear it it would bring a tear to my eye that's it's crazy to think but yeah <laughs> yeah so that's that's uh the southern air temple so what do you think of the episode i loved it me too is it is it filler <sighs> i don't think so there are certain uh filler parts of this like in in these episodes you know def- definition of filler uh going off of like you know pre-existing tv of course no, this was uh, this was we, we learned a lot about the world. Uh, we got numerous facts, and we continued the story on with Zuko and where he's going, and certainly showing that he is, you know, whether people like him or not, he is here to stay uh, in this series, uh, which I, I liked. That was a bold decision. Yeah, they definitely set up right away that this isn't just a one-off villain. This is very much a central cast member. Yeah, and you're actually going to see him uh, change over the course of the season. Uh, in a way doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, team avatar, but we're going to at least see. And it very much expands on the emotional kind of dramatic arcs between the two characters. In the first two episodes, this is definitely kind of a, I was going to say continuation, but it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more solidifying, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I thought this was a really good way to come back to the show since we took a little bit of a break here. Um <laughs> Hopefully we'll do the next episode much more quickly in succession, but it's definitely happy to come back to this one. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't agree. I was, uh, I really love that we did that. Oh, Zenry, any last words that you want to say for the episode here before we sign off? I challenge anybody to an air ball fight or duel, excuse me. <laughs> and then after that, we'll, we'll do some Agni Kai. Yeah. If you explain the rules, I'll be there that day. I'll be there. Um, it's basically like ping pong, I'd say. Well, yeah, it's volleyball back and forth of like trying to vault. Well, it's, we can't do volleyball solo, I think. 
or like badminton. Mm. Well, no, but there's goalposts, so it's kind of like a one-on-one match with soccer. I guess kind of like um, kind of like a half-court uh, basketball, like one-on-one, where you'd always have to like go back, uh, go back to the center court, and then like to get it back into your zone. But not really, because there's two. I don't know. I don't know what the real world equivalent would be. I'm hoping one of the new series is going to be like, you know, they in Cora, they did that whole thing with the uh, what was that game that she played all the time? Oh, crap. Um, <laughs> I should know this uh, because everybody hated that. Uh, hated it. Um, pro bending. Pro bending. I love that stuff. Hopefully they'll do a ep- uh, season of a show where it's the air ball as the uh, the game that they're playing around. Oh, that'd be nice. I love Olympic sports almost where they do like pro bending. They do uh, <laughs> air ball. They do Agnikai. Uh, earth wrestling and whatever water does. <laughs> I don't think we actually ever see what like water sports uh, occur. Uh, water polo. Like, okay, let's fantasy version of, of water sports. <laughs> oh, but yeah, folks tune in next time. We're, we're really happy to be back on this show. And uh, yeah, looking forward to going through the rest of this season. Any final words? Go in peace. Peace. This section of the podcast contains spoilers for all seasons of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Enter at your peril. Yeah, once you once you said that, it was like, oh yeah, this is totally Columbo, and it, it, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I, I enjoy that as as well. I'm just like, that's <laughs> good good humor right there. It's especially noteworthy uh, in, in 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 book three when he's in jail for for certain various reasons, both like in real life and and in universe. Mm. But that he certainly plays that Columbo role highly uh, in that in in that book. Which is which works successfully, I'd say. He kills off souls, and that means that uh, none of the, not even Zuko lives, even if his, even if Zuko is descended of uh, Roku as well. Man, that changes a lot of things. But changes everything. What I'm getting at is, uh, what would Aang have looked like if he continued training? Uh, or if he remained, because one of the biggest things is that Monkey Yatsu wants him to be a kid. And the first thing he says, not first thing he says, but one of the things he was upset at is the fact that they didn't tell him when he was 16, which that, that makes sense. Get your affairs in order as a teenager, like get, get yourself past puberty, I bet. And then, you know, be as you're, you know, slowly becoming an adult and then they tell you, it's like, oh yeah, you're the avatar. <laughs> Amongst all these things, you know, you're all these things going on. It's like, you got, all your, your airbending uh, disciplines to do, your calisthenics, you have your you have to train a bunch of people. Uh, oh, you're the avatar, and the air dance is tomorrow. <laughs> the air prom. <laughs> Whatever that looks like. Uh, oh, but but getting past that. <laughs> <laughs>